Success is about more than just business strategies. It's also about aligning with your higher purpose and clearing inner obstacles that stand in the way. I say this because you deserve to do what you love and to feel fulfilled along the way. And the reality is you're likely spending more time than you'd like to stuck in self-doubt. You may be asking yourself things like, why do I never seem to reach my biggest goals no matter how hard I work? Or why do I never quite feel like I've done enough, have enough, or am enough? If any of these sound familiar, you are not alone. And I've been there too. The good news is that the solution is simpler than you think. I'm sharing it inside my new four-day women's immersion, The Inner Critic Cure. This live four-day event includes daily classes, potent practices, and a brilliant supportive community of like-minded women. And best of all, it's only $37. This method is gentle yet powerful, and it actually works even when others haven't because it's based on a proven psychotherapeutic framework called Internal Family Systems or IFS. By the time you leave, you'll have the knowledge and tools to not only heal your relationship with those harsh inner voices, but to turn them into your strongest allies now and for the rest of your life. So join us to discover how to put an end to those negative voices that have held you back from your biggest dreams and desires. So you can live into the full potential you know is possible for you in both your business and in your life. You can learn more and join us inside the Inner Critic Cure at programs-saravonstover.com forward slash immersion. That's programs-saravonstover.com forward slash immersion. I'd love to see you there. I was leading, I was a PA and there's a practice group with someone being a therapist, somebody being a client, somebody being an observer. And there was a guy working with this woman and she had this, what at first looked like a internal critic in her, but it was absolutely relentless and hate-filled. There was no good intention anywhere that he could find. And I thought this seems to be one of those foreign energy things, one of these unattached burdens. And so I asked him if I could take over the session and he said, please, <laughs> you know, it was, these things are quite disconcerting if you haven't, you know, had any experience with them. And I started just asking this uh, critic, you know, what's your intention? Why are you doing this? And it just said things like, I want to destroy her. And then, well, what's good about destroying her? And then, well, that then she won't be on the planet anymore. And what's good about her not being on the planet? Just kept drilling down and down and down, trying to find a good intention. There never was one. And finally it said, well, if I destroy her, it means I win. Welcome to Herself, a space for women to have deep conversations about the intersection between spiritual entrepreneurship and fulfilling your potential, so you can become the woman you truly are in every area of your life. After being in business for over two decades, I've learned, as you likely have too, that as you grow your business, your business grows you in unexpected, often challenging, yet miraculous ways. Here, we'll talk about how to get out of your own way, so you can grow a business that's abundant and sustainable while allowing you to be a force for good in the world. I'll give you simple, actionable strategies as well as wisdom and inspiration to help you root into your wholeness, lead from your values, and work in ways that feel deeply aligned so you can bring your true self into the world through your business 
and in every area of your life. Before we delve into our conversation today, which is an evocative one, I want to be sure to tell you about a brand new upcoming retreat that I'm hosting specifically for entrepreneurial women. It's taking place at the Buddhist Retreat Center, Drawa Mountain Center, this January from the 2nd to the 7th. There, I'll guide you through a soulful and strategic New Year's visioning process, not only for your life, but also for your business. To support us with approaching this process from our depths, we'll also enjoy periods of silence, walks in nature, women's yoga, meditation, IFS inquiries to help us activate inner resources and clear inner obstacles, and of course, the magic and support of a community of like-minded women. This is a process that goes beyond the mind. Because to create a business in life that's birthed and led by your depths, we need this kind of time and sacred space. I hope you'll join us. You can learn more through the link in the show notes. And now for today's conversation. We're talking here now about something that until recently has been a fringe conversation in the IFS community. Unattached Burdens, or UBs for short. Thanks to the new book by IFS practitioner, teacher, and author Robert Falconer, with whom we're speaking today, this topic has slowly become more widespread and accepted. But stay with me. It can sound a little bit out there. But in reality, UBs are a lot more common than you might think. There's something that both I and people close to me have experienced, and there's something that I've helped clients clear as well. Think about it. We can experience lasting wounds in a variety of ways. The most commonly known ones are through injurious personal experiences like being bullied or more of a big T or even another kind of little T trauma, or by inheriting wounds from our culture, as is the case with different kinds of ancestral trauma or white supremacy or the patriarchy. Yet there's another way that we can be negatively impacted, and that is by hosting foreign energies or UBs. This is a concept that's more widely understood and accepted in other cultures around the world, and it's still not yet very well understood or received in ours. But today we're helping to change that by welcoming Robert Falconer to join us. An IFS therapy practitioner, teacher, and writer, Bob has devoted himself full-time to IFS work since training in it with its founder, Dick Schwartz, more than a decade ago. And by assisting Dr. Schwartz in many trainings and workshops. During the earlier part of his career, before discovering IFS, Bob worked with survivors of major trauma. His focus now is on the study and treatment of the others within us, also known as unattached burdens or UBs. His new book, The Others Within Us, Internal Family Systems, Porous Mind, and Spirit Possession, a work of more than 10 years of research, was published in April of this year. Now I invite you to listen to my conversation with Robert with an open mind while also giving any of your skeptical parts 
a seat at the table to listen into. Let's dive in. All right. Welcome, Robert. It's good to have you with us. Thank you. Good to be here. And we always start our conversations here with a a brief check-in. So I invite you to share with us where you're joining us from in the world and how you're doing today at the levels of body, heart, and mind. Okay. I'm uh, in my home in the Santa Cruz Mountains, a little bit in the foothills of the Santa Cruz Mountains. And um, it's so nice here. I hardly ever leave. (laughs) I'm sort of behind a park uh, and uh, in these rolling hills looking south toward the ocean. And um, so it's a wonderful, wonderful place to be. It it was an old olive orchard in the 1890s. that's all overgrown with all these other trees. But it's a very sweet location for me. I'm doing quite well. I'm I'm working on two new books simultaneously, which I've never done before. And I keep getting the most fascinating and stimulating clients in the world and teaching stuff. And so life is sweet. I'm probably more joy-filled than I've ever been in my whole life. That's that's something to celebrate. Yes. And yeah, that, that is such a beautiful part of the country and the world that you're in. And I can understand why you don't feel drawn to leave there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I know we'll get further into your work today, but as we go, I'll, I'll be curious to hear about your two new books. And I can only imagine how interesting, how interesting it is to do the work that you do with people. And mm-hmm. listeners will understand more of what, what we mean as we get into our conversation. So by way of that, I, we're here today to talk about your book and, and a significant body of your work, which is The Others Within Us, Internal Family Systems, Porous Mind, and Spirit Possession. And in this book, you, you share a lot. It's a very, uh, very rich book with a lot of different perspectives brought in. And one of those perspectives is your own personal journey. And you have lived through a lot. I was just, I was kind of awestruck at the magnitude of what, what you have lived through. And you don't need to share all of it with us here because I know it's a lot, but whatever you feel called to share about your own personal healing journey and what first brought you to this modality of, of IFS. Okay. Um, extreme uh, capital T trauma. Uh, father and mother, both sex offenders, both addicts, well hidden in a uh, you know church-going family. <laughs> um, my older brother also molested me. My father had his gay child molesting lovers living in the house with the family, and they would molest us boys too. Uh, Mom was institutionalized a few times when we were kids. Um, My brother committed suicide when we were teenagers. My father was murdered a few years later. And by all odds, I should be uh, dead or a junkie or something like, you know, not a good prognosis. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm doing well. And at 75, I'm thriving and happy and joy-filled and feel I have very uh, productive life. And I'm actually doing good in the world. And most of my career, I worked with men who have histories like mine, 
Uh, and I'm actually, I, the bulk of my healing I did before I met IFS through various other parts work models, ego state therapy, Gestalt, I spent a lot of time with Gestalt, psychosynthesis, voice dialogue, all of that. But then when I found IFS, I thought this is the most potent and respectful form of therapy. And I think it's potent because it is respectful and it does respect the client and, you know, knows that the healer is within the client. And um, so I've been, you know, pretty much 100% IFS for more than a decade. And now I think in, in a lot of ways, I'm sort of moving beyond the IFS model because I do a great deal of work in non-Western cultures. My wife's Korean and... Um, so trying to expand it to a more global um, perspective, less, less Western, less Eurocentric. And when, when you entered into the IFS fold and you, you share a story of you were a program assistant during one of the IFS trainings where you had a pretty profound encounter with what you're calling the others within us mm -hmm. and which the IFS model calls unattached burdens or with acronym UBs. Mm -hmm. And can you share with us what is a UB? What is an unattached burden or an other within us? Okay. And um, what did you know about them prior to that initial encounter? And then we'll go into what that encounter was. Okay. Um, UBs used to be called critters, a name that Dick now doesn't like at all. Um, there are energies in us that are not part of our own personal life history. And there are a lot of energies like this that are more acceptable, like legacy burdens and cultural burdens. And, you know, there's hard science proof behind legacy burdens now with epigenetics and they can create these things in rats and mice. And, you know, that's the standard of truth in the Western world. <laughs> if you can do it in rats, it's real. So these things are generally accepted. But you could just say unattached burdens are the things that are like that. They're energies that are not from our own personal life, but we don't really know what they are or where they come from. And I would, I would put it this way, that there is a basic biopsychological dynamic that can have profound effects on people's lives for good or for ill that's been found in almost every culture we have records of in every era of history. The metaphor usually used to describe this is spirit possession. But whatever you call this, it's real, it happens to people, and it's worthy of study. And it seems like these kind of unattached burdens or these kind of foreign energies that, that we can take on I think you mentioned in your book that that can happen, especially when we're children mm -hmm. and in vulnerable states, like if we have a surgery or a sexual abuse or something, something very shocking or where we're very vulnerable to yeah. other energies. Is that right? Yeah. Any, anytime you're out of your body, it, it makes it easier for them to get in. So in the surgery, it's especially the anesthesia, I think. That, that makes, especially childhood surgeries, makes the children very vulnerable. 
So let's talk about this, this encounter that you had with a student in an IFS training that you were assisting. Mm-hmm. Can, can you share the story of that yeah. experience? I, I had almost no knowledge of this. I'd been told, you know, hey, these things exist. You might run into them once in a while. And I, at the time, had a very, I'd spent decades creating this trauma-oriented view of the human psyche. And I thought I knew some stuff in my early 60s. You know, I was pretty settled and met this woman. And I was leading, I was a PA, and there's a practice group with someone being a therapist, somebody being a client, somebody being an observer. And there was a guy working with this woman, and she had this, what at first looked like a internal critic in her, but it was absolutely relentless and hate-filled. There was no good intention anywhere that he could find. And I thought, this seems to be one of those foreign energy things, one of these unattached burdens. And so I asked him if I could take over the session. And he said, please. <laughs> you know, it was, these things are quite disconcerting if you haven't, you know, had any experience with them. And I started just asking this uh, critic, you know, what's your intention? Why are you doing this? And it just said things like, I want to destroy her. And then, well, what's good about destroying her? And then, well, that then she won't be on the planet anymore. And what's good about her not being on the planet? Just kept drilling down and down and down, trying to find a good intention. There never was one. And finally it said, well, if I destroy her, it means I win. That's not a part. Parts always have a good intention somewhere. So the next thing I knew to do was have the person ask the thing directly, are you a part of my system? And she did that and it didn't answer. It was very evasive. It said things like, well, I've been here a long time. Or, you know, and I just had her keep asking. And then after four or five attempts, it finally turned and said to me, you're supposed to be a teacher. That's a really stupid question. Don't you have anything smarter to ask? And I sort of laughed and I said, it may be stupid, but it's simple. Are you a part of her? And after quite a while of this, it it roared out through her mouth. It said, no, I'm not a part of her. I'm a much more glorious being. And I'm going to crush her like a worm the same way I'm going to crush you. That's like classic sort of unattached burden, arrogance, contempt, all these things. And I was able to help her get this thing out of her using very, very simple, you know, suggestions and things I'd heard. And it stayed out. I debriefed the group in a very rational way. And then I went to the staff meeting and my core body temperature dropped like three or four degrees and I was shaking and couldn't get warm. And um, the other the other staff, they were teasing me. They were saying, oh, you're the ghostbuster. And I got really irritable (laughs) and was snappish and inappropriate. And when I went to bed that night, I thought, I'm just going to forget this. This didn't happen, you know, it's just some, but then I started getting all these emails from her from the airport. And the first ones were like, I can see colors I've never seen before. And I thought, oh no, I've triggered a manic episode. This is big trouble. And they got worse, you know, I can see God in people now, I could, you know, and they were long, you know, page long. And then she sent one that really changed my life. She said, Bob, I didn't tell you this, but when I was a teenager, I tried to kill myself many times and I was institutionalized many times. And when I tried to tell people back then about the non-human inside me, 
They gave me electroshock and injected me with powerful drugs. You're the first human being to ever believe me and you've changed my life. And then I went, I can't ignore this, <laughs> you know? Oh man, <laughs> where was my simple little trauma-oriented model? <laughs> it was just all blown <laughs> apart, you know? This was like out of left field, and, and when she said that, it was like, no, I can't ignore this. And that, you know, that was more than 10 years ago. I, she read my book and sent me an email and said, yeah, Bob, that's still, I think that's still, I did stay in touch with her. Still think that's a life-changing event and very, very positive. And, you know, and it did, in following her external life, it did seem to have very positive effect on, on how she could be in the world. So, and then I got really interested and because most people, when they sense something like this, they don't want to have anything to do with it. I got a whole lot of referrals. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, send that one to Bob. We don't want to deal with that. So, and then, you know, I've, the more I worked overseas and in other cultures, they understand this much better than we do. So, for sure, yeah. Ten years of doing that, and I love research. So, you know the the bibli the research bibliography to the book that I just published is over thirty two pages, and I actually read all that stuff. <laughs> so, yes, there's there's a lot of material in there, and a lot of the, the kind of cross cultural references, comparisons. Yeah, somebody said extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. So I tried to pull together a vast amount of material, at least to get people to think, whatever in the world this might be, it's worthy of study because it creates so much human suffering. Yes. So you just you just spoke that you just spoke about how when you were working with someone, you were able to determine this was an unattached burden because it appeared like an inner critic part. But the more that you spoke with it, the more that you kind of drilled down, you were not able to get to a positive intention. Yeah. And one of the basic frameworks in IFS is that all parts have good intentions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so that that yeah. was an that was like the initial sign, like maybe this isn't a part. And then you asked it directly, are you a part? Yeah. Now, Dick, I don't know exactly what he's saying today, but he used to say they can't, this is the one question they cannot lie about, they can lie about everything else. And I was saying that quite confidently one day talking to an audience, and this wonderful, powerful woman with from Nigeria yelled out, they lie. <laughs> and when I got over my shock, <laughs> I asked her to tell, tell me more about how, you know, they deal with these in Nigeria. And she said, no, in Nigeria, they can lie about everything. And she also said, sometimes they've been in the person so long, they've forgotten who they really are. So they think they're actually a part of the person. But that's not been my experience. Occasionally, there's some little like waffles at the edge where they appear to be lying. But basically, no, they don't seem to be able to lie point blank to that question. Yeah, that's how that's what I learned about UBs as well, is that they that they'll tell you and that's been my experience when I've supported clients with, mm-hmm. with these, is that ultimately they, they will say, yes, I'm not, a, or, you know, they will say, no, I'm not a part. Yeah. Yeah. And they will try and avoid the question. 
and right. do all sorts of sleazy stuff. They'd make great lawyers and politicians. <laughs> I interviewed a Polish exorcist who only worked with kids. And he said he never talks to them because they're really, because they're so good at debate. <laughs> right. And I, I, I find that I kind of feel like I'm going around in circles with them. Yeah. They're really like just, good at doing that. I'm never able to, to get anywhere. Whereas with, when I'm with a part, ultimately we can, we're, we're led somewhere deeper. We're, we're led beyond just these very negative, uh, negative comments. Mm -hmm. negative narrative. I think the biggest difference between what I do and what IFS does, I don't think of these things as evil beings that we have to have this great big struggle and fight. I think they're also suffering beings who are lost and they're usually attached to that person out of desperation, fear and starvation. And then they pretend to be all big and, oh, you know, I'm tough and, you know, all this contempt and nasty stuff. But under that, they're horribly suffering beings. And that I got mainly from the spiritists of Brazil, who have an incredible history of working with this. And there are over 50 psychiatric hospitals in Brazil that are run by spiritists. And they have a pretty good track record of working with psychosis in in these terms of there are foreign energies or they would say spirits or lost souls in these people and what do you feel like are you know aside from what you discover when when you're working with someone directly like for a person who's listening to this right now do you feel like there's any certain like symptoms or signs that one could have an unattached burden well, it's that unrelieved negativity with no good intention anywhere. That's the number one, the number one thing. The other thing, rape and sexual abuse very often almost literally inject these things into people. When people are out of their bodies, they often get into people during psychedelic, poorly managed psychedelic sessions, because that's another time that people are very much out of their bodies. So if they've had, uh, an experience like that recently and then start having major behavioral changes. I want to tell one quick story here. This woman um, was doing an ayahuasca ceremony, which is usually done in groups. This was done in groups. She had a sense it was not well managed, but she went ahead and did it anyway. Driving home from that, she had an acute psychotic episode, was hospitalized. This was in California. Her family comes out from Chicago to take her home and just trying to drive her back to Chicago, which is like two, three day drive. They had to stop and rehospitalize her four times because she kept trying to jump out of the car and then she'd be completely lucid in herself. And then she and she got home and she had a cousin, I think it was something who was sort of psychic. And the cousin said, just tell it, I have nothing here for you but love, and say that as a mantra over and over again. And the thing left. Mm. It didn't, no more psychotic episodes, <laughs> none, gone. And, you know, she came to me later to try and make sense of this and make sure she was, you know, all her parts were there. And I said, well, I've, you know, I've heard they're, they seem to be allergic to love sometimes. And she said, I think it was just, realizing that it wasn't a part of me was a huge relief. And that's why I think 
um, that's one of the things that makes it so important that we know that this can happen, this does happen. Things that aren't part of our minds get into us. And that, you know, this whole idea of the porous mind, I think is the, the major sort of implication of this. And it really, I think it could change therapy as much as the idea of multiplicity of mind that, you know, is the foundation of IFS. I agree. And I just, for, for anyone who's listening and it's mostly women who are listening, I just want to share that the women that I've worked with, who I've supported in releasing these entities have taken them on through sexual abuse. They've entered in during times of sexual abuse. And in my own life, I feel like I had an unattached burden, although I didn't know what it was at that time, I was able to release it. And it was on the other side of, um, I was engaged to a man who I found out was a narcissist and had been sleeping with many people while we were together. And so I realized that I was kind of exposed to a lot of, a lot of different energy, a lot of dark energy. And on the other side of that, I just did not feel like myself yeah. and, you know, doing a lot of healing and working through a lot of layers. I ultimately reached a layer where I realized this is not me. This is not mine. And so that, that's another kind of example of how we can, how we can get these energies in us. Yeah. I think, I think they also can be passed down through our lineages and, you know, a lot of people have asked, well, how do you tell a legacy burden, which we have hard scientific evidence for and an unattached burden. And I say, I don't even really try. I use whatever the client, however they want to think about it. We're, in both cases, we're, this is a foreign energy. We're helping the person get, get out of their system. So, uh, you know, I don't think teasing that difference apart is so important. Right. I would like to talk more about the, this idea of porosity of mind, because I think this is so important. Yeah, I agree. Go ahead. Um, uh, this great anthropologist, Tanya Lurman, who I think is one of the great intellects alive on our planet today. Unfortunately, therapists never read her. Um, she says, in the West, we've developed what she calls the citadel theory of mind. That like everything in our brains is our private stuff. It's all ours and it constitutes our identity. And this is all like in this fortress. And that looks sort of really strong, but it's not. It's actually incredibly brittle and therefore really fragile. If we hear a voice or something that doesn't seem like part of ourselves, we can shatter. We can completely fall apart. And Tanya, I should call her Dr. Lurman. <laughs> I've, I've only exchanged emails with her. I've never even met her. So Dr. Lurman, um, has studied psychosis and spirituality cross-culturally. And she, she studied it in San Mateo, Akragana, and Chennai, India. Guess we spend way over a hundred times more than either of those countries on our treatment of psychotics. Guess who gets the worst results? We do. <laughs> we do, yeah. And now, if if this world, if if human beings were rational at all, we would be over there studying what they do. That's not what's happening. We are exporting our methods and it's very sad. And Dr. Lorman thinks one of the most important reasons behind this is because we have this brittle, non-porous theory of mind and they don't. 
In Akragana, she has what she calls an ecocentric theory of mind or self, where they think they're part of a network of nature and divine beings. And so they sort of, when they hear a voice or have something come, it's not a disaster. In, 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 in India, it's more of a sociocentric model where they sort of, it's not weird to hear dead relatives or anything like that. So, you know, these psychotic, uh, what we would call psychotic symptoms are not so devastating. And uh, there's a wonderful woman in England that nobody I've talked to in America has ever heard of, Isabel Clark, with an I, not an E, and an E on the end of the Clark, uh, developed something she called the billiard ball theory of mind. And she works, she's worked uh, with uh, inpatient psychotic care her whole career. And she thinks this billiard ball theory of mind is responsible for how devastating psychosis is for Europeans. So they've come to the same conclusion from very, very different annals. And if you just start to step back and think for a minute, every living system is surrounded by a semi-permeable membrane. Every cell semi-permeable membrane you know why would our minds be any different but it's like so built into us by our culture and our language it's almost impossible to talk about it you know we, we like need to invent new words that guy daniel siegel the interpersonal neurobiology guy is trying to invent new words to talk about this the our interconnectedness and the permeability of our minds I, excuse me, I got on my soapbox a little, but I think this is no, so I think important. it's important. Yeah, and it's exciting too. I think, and it, it speaks to just our hyper individualism that that we just we we can't see past, or it's very hard for us to see past being these like individual insular selves. Yeah, that yeah. are not interconnected, and that that brings us so much suffering on so many different levels. I mean, that's that's the basis of pretty much every spiritual tradition. But still, we can't, um, our culture is just built around that. Yeah. And in anthropology, there's, they talk about the individual and the individual. <laughs> and an individual is what we have in the West. And it's pretty much limited to Western culture. And it's limited to like the last four or 500 years of Western culture. And then they talk about the individual, and that's characterized by an uh, interdependent sense of self and multiplicity of self. So, <laughs> and that's almost everywhere else. And it, that was a woman too. Marilyn Strathern was the, the great theorist in that. So we know that one of the signs that someone has an unattached burden is they don't feel like themselves or they feel like after some sort of life event, there was a big shift in how they, how they experienced their life, how they experienced themselves. And then someone comes into an IFS session or comes into a session with you or someone who trains with you. And there's that inquiry is, is this an unattached burden or, or is this a part? And then when you find out, okay, this is an unattached burden, what are what are the steps for for healing it at that point? Okay, let me let me backtrack just a little. Another way, maybe the most common way people come is, I just sense this darkness in me. This whole area, this nasty, you know, relentlessly negative darkness in me, and uh, you know, 
So I think that might be the most common thing. I think in, in working with them, the number one thing is just keep it assuming apart, think it's apart, wait until it's really, really proven that it's not. Because if you try and move apart out of the system, you will destroy the system's trust in you. Yeah. And it will be very hard to repair that. So lean the other way. Lean, this is a part. This is a part. We're going to find it's good intention. Just stay in that department. And then when, when, you're, when you know it's not and it says it's not, then I just, I, I'm very gentle with them. I say, you're lost. You are suffering. You're in the wrong place. I know you're pretending to be tough and big and strong and nasty, but we know you're a lost suffering being and we want to help you go where you can heal. And then I don't fight with them. The number one, the first thing is find any parts of the person who are afraid of it. And then you do classic IFS with that part. You establish a self part connection with the frightened part until it can connect to the self so well that it's no longer frightened. And then it will let go of its attachment to the unattached burden. You can also just help them go to a safe contained space behind you, but I much prefer to do the whole connect to self thing. Because I think these unattached burdens do us the unintentional favor of showing us all our most vulnerable parts that might take us years to find. They're sort of like ants in the kitchen. You know, the ants are not trying to help you, obviously, but they show you where you spilled the food every time. They show you what needs your attention. So these unattached burdens will show you the parts of you who are scared, isolated, alone, needy, vulnerable, all of that. So I just, the first one, anybody scared of it, get all the scared parts. Anybody gonna miss this thing when it's gone? And I, you, you have to be careful because there might, they might be really shamed. So I say things like, you're not bad or wrong if you took this in. You might actually have needed these energies to survive, you know, to, to help them come forwards. And then again, it's just classic IFS developing that self-part relationship. With these parts who are attached to unattached burdens, the, the key thing is just getting to have that very first taste of compassion and self-energy. Very often that is so hard for them. And, you know, Mitchie Rose had that drop, drop technique. Can you, can you just take in a drop or half a drop of compassion? <laughs> and how is that for you? Because, you know, and once, once that compassionate, loving self-connection is established, usually it's pretty quick. Because self feels so much better at the end of the day than the unattached burdens. Because the unattached burdens are always parasites. They're always draining um, energy. And so I think you can be very confident that if you just stay with the patient self-part development, that will win because that actually increases energy and well-being, you know, as opposed to a parasite. There's some traditions that call these things the feeders and believe they feed on negative human emotion, but they do seem definitely parasitic. And that self-depart relationship that you're talking to is circles back to what, what you were talking about at the beginning when, when you came across IFS and you just realized how potent it is, 
because it really activates that the healing force that is already within each of us. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, it's strengthening that, bringing that more to the foreground Mm -hmm. in the case of having, having this, these kind of like these parasitic energies in us. Mm -hmm. And we don't try and tell the parts who are attached to it. Oh, that's so stupid that you'd hook onto that thing. Yeah. <laughs> we, we respect their decision making and offer them love and compassion right where they're stuck. So we're very respectful of them too. And I'm hearing you say that's also validating them of seeing, yeah. So you, it sounds like you had good reason to attach to this to this at some point because that maybe yeah. helped you survive, helps you get through a really challenging life experience or something mm-hmm. that's where. Big said what they offer is power to the powerless. And I think that's true the vast majority of the time, but they also sometimes offer companionship to the abandoned. And then they seem to work to keep people isolated so that they can continue to feed off them or, you know, enhance their uh, dependency. And so in, in this past decade of doing this work with people, we we know about the shifts that that woman in the first train that that training that initial experience that you had. What what are what are some other things that you've noticed in working with people who have an attached burdens or within yourself? What have you noticed? Oh, I could talk about that. Um, you know, my parents were pretty horrible, as I mentioned before, and I have some severe eye problems, a bunch of different retina diseases. And I was told about 10 years ago, you're going blind, you should learn how to use a cane, you know, get ready. And I was actually working with Dick at the time, and we found this unattached burden in my eye, in my left eye, which looked like a spider with the uh, tail of a scorpion. And it was poking my retina and causing these blisters and bleeding, which were the actual physical symptoms that were going on in my eyes. And we were able to work with, and it was my mother's energy. So you could call it a maternal interject. You could call it an, I don't care what you call it. (laughs) We were able to get that thing out of there. And I'm doing way better than the doctors thought possible. I can still read, I can still drive, you know, I'm I'm doing well. And so that, (laughs) that's kind of convincing. (laughs) Yes. And did, did you have the sense that that was, that, that the, the issues with your eyesight were related to an unattached burden or you just had a curiosity well, about I it? Just, just went in there and looked, you know, I, I okay. work a lot with any physical symptom. I'll look for, you know, are there any parts or any other psychological energies involved with this? I've noticed these unattached burdens are very often uh, associated with autoimmune diseases. And that's just like a, a an impression. I don't have any numbers or any, you know. That makes sense because there is that kind of a quality of like the system like feeding on itself or attacking itself. Yeah. And I, I also have had autoimmune diseases. So and in the IFS community, I know that UB's at least for as long as I've been involved, it hasn't been something that's been openly spoken about. And it's even been a little bit taboo. I know that I didn't yep. learn about them in my trainings. I kind of heard about them through side channels. And then when I started to encounter them or wonder if I was encountering them, encountering them with my clients, it was my IFS consultant who was able to kind of fill me in on 
like the bigger picture of them and how to work with them. But it seems like since your book has come out that there's more of an embrace and an acceptance of them in the IFS community. What, what, what has been your experience? Of yes this? and no. Well, Dick was uh, angry at me for pursuing this field. And, uh, you know, I said, it's so important. I mean, look what happened and you know, it's real. He used to only teach about it in level threes and he was very angry at me, but when he read the manuscript, he changed his mind and he wrote a nice forward to the book. And, you know, he even said, I'm glad this isn't being kept secret anymore. But he was very afraid that this is so weird, it would be used to discredit IFS. And, but still I get a lot of, oh, weird Bob's been living in California too long and, you know, other <laughs> less than respectful comments. And, you know, the, a lot of the IFS world does not like hearing about this. And what I say is not very welcome. And how is that for you? Oh, it's difficult. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. And I, you know, I think if, you know, I can explain unattached burdens in completely rational terms. There's no, no need for any woo-woo. You know, Richard Dawkins, who is perhaps the most hyper-rationalist materialist guy on the planet, one of the, they call him the four new atheists. I mean, he hates religion or anything spiritual. He developed this whole theory of memes and memeplexes, which he called viruses of the mind. And he said, there are these things, ideas or attitudes, and sometimes whole complexes of them that are contagious, that can go from one mind to another, replicate in that new mind, and then spread further. That's an entirely adequate theoretical explanation of unattached burdens. You don't need, you know, anything at all spiritual. I mean, so I can, I think a lot of the negative stuff is just people are really scared of this. It's, you know, upsetting and weird. That was my initial reaction. I don't want to hear about this. Yeah, it can be, it can be confronting and disrupt our sense of self, our worldview. Just like we were talking about all these, these things that we're conditioned into. Yeah. Yeah. And now I've come to feel that my previous, you know, decades long developed trauma oriented view of the human mind, still valid, nothing wrong with all of that. It's just, it's in a much bigger picture. There's all this other stuff all around there that I've completely ignored. Yeah. There's the individual experience that's happening, but it's happening within the context of yeah. everything. Yeah everything impacting us. Yeah. And I don't, I don't really, I've really tried to discipline myself. People come to me because they're suffering and my contract with them is to do my dead level best to reduce their suffering. And it, it is, I believe, unethical for me to exploit their suffering to try and further my research. So I've got this very pragmatic attitude. What can I do to help reduce this person's suffering? And because of that, you know, the question you ask determines the whole course of the inquiry. It's given me a very different direction and thrust. So I, if people ask me, what are these things? I just, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if they're spirits or, you know, memes or memeplexes or, I don't know, but I do know there's certain ways you can handle them 
that seem to work pretty well. And that's something we can reasonably expect to get a good idea about. Whereas these things of what are these and what's the nature of the interior world's reality, you know, those are like, we could argue about that forever and get nowhere. In your book, you mentioned that you were going to create some trainings around this. Is that something that you're offering now or where are you with that? Yeah, I just, um, (laughs) I want to offer a whole bunch of courses online and I, I jokingly, one of my friends said, well, you, you want to offer UBU. <laughs> and through Life Architect in Poland, uh, Michael Paterski, I did a four half-day class series on unattached burdens. And that's going to be, that's that's there and available online through his organization. And that's like the big introduction. There's also a, th- a three-hour one uh, through Mike uh, Derek Scott in Canada that's like the short introduction. And there, there's a whole bunch of YouTube stuff attached to my website. And then my plan is in the future to record a bunch of advanced classes. So then people can go through this and take as much or as little as they want, you know. And what are these two new books that you are working on? Well... One is for 30, 40 years, I've been collecting quotes and little stories that I find really helpful. So it's just sort of compiling those and putting those together and publishing it. And there more and more, I think the the deep healing is always spiritual. And uh, that that also is (laughs) too popular an idea in therapy land. But so the, these quotes tend to be in that direction. Um, one of them I like that I think is sort of funny is, um, oh, how did it go? Talking about therapy without spirituality is like trying to consider the ocean without wetness. You know, it, real healing requires some kind of depth, especially for major trauma. Um, So that's one book. And then I'm working with the Swedenborgian Foundation to produce a book uh, comparing IFS and the work of Emanuel Swedenborg. Maybe I should say a word or two about who he was because so few people know and they should. He died in about 1785. And for the first 40, 50 years of his life, he was probably the foremost scientist of his day. And he was really hardcore. He was the manager of the copper mines for the kingdom of Sweden and designed all this mining equipment and military fortifications and watch design. And he did the first uh, neuroanatomy book in your, you know, really hard. And then when he was about 50, he started having visions. And for the rest of his life, angels and demons took him on guided tours of heaven and hell. And with his scientist mind, he wrote this geography of the other worlds. And it's 30 volumes, (laughs) which were originally written in Latin. But they're still, they're amazing. I mean, they're amazing what this guy saw. (laughs) He's just writing these like very sober descriptions of, oh, there's this, this. And and there there are churches based on his work. And He was actually incredibly influential to a lot. William James was influenced by him. Um, 
D.T. Suzuki, the famous Zen Buddhist, wrote a book about him uh, that called him the Buddha of the North. So, and there are a couple, at least a couple psychologists who use his work to help them work with the voices schizophrenics here. So he's an amazing guy, unfortunately, really difficult to read. But a lot of, a lot of his work is uh, very, very relevant, I think. So that, that's, that's the other project. Sounds like you have a lot of interesting, interesting things that you're engaged in, interesting things ahead. And, and we started out talking about your personal, your, your history, your big T trauma, and how today in your mid seventies, you feel like you are the most joyous that you've ever been. I know we've touched on a lot of, a lot of things that have led you to this, but I'm wondering if you could just share more explicitly, what is, what do you attribute to your deepest healing of going, going from where you were, the background that you had to where you are now? Well, I think one of the things that really helped is I'm stubborn as a mule. <laughs> and a long time ago, when it was before I knew IFS, but I knew about parts. And I had this vision of the basement of my family home, which is where a lot of the rapes and beatings occurred. And um, I just vowed to myself, I'm never going to close the door to this basement until every last part is free from there. And I've, I've stayed with that. And also, some of the beatings were so severe as a kid, I was frequently beaten unconscious. Some of them, especially ones involving suffocation, created what I think are near-death experiences. I'm not sure if that's really the appropriate term, but I went into another world and I met a merciful female presence which is so bizarre in the middle of sadistic rape to <laughs> meet him. And I think somehow that little taste early on in, in the midst of rape and you know beatings and all this other stuff was, was really important. I'd like to claim credit for where I am, but I think you know, spirit had a lot to do with this. And, uh, yeah, and it sounds like in those moments, when that that female being came to you that was just grace grace yeah. entering and the sad i i became enraged at her and i cursed at her because she kept sending me back yeah That's and then i couldn't find her for decades and i blamed myself for that you know how could you be such an idiot to curse that and I also, I've done a lot of uh, expressive art stuff, dance, painting. I think that's really, really important. I think the healing power of dance and movement is vastly underrated in, in the therapy world. And we, we tend to be talking heads. I, I fully agree. And I just really want to emphasize for listeners, because I know there are a lot of people listening who have been through big, big T traumas. and things things that you don't feel like you're you're going to be able to ever overcome and can feel hopeless at times and frustrated and just to say that it is that that stubbornness or an ifs we call it you know the persistence of our self energy of our of our essential self that that persistence and that patience 
just to keep going with it. And it does take time, but if we stay with it and stay with the model and stay with that connection to a higher power or that, which is greater than us, that healing is possible. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I think I'm glad you mentioned higher power because I think one of the, I love the 12 steps as opposed to many therapists. I think they're magnificent. And um, I think one of the things they did is they sort of dumbed down spirituality enough so that it's acceptable to the modern Western mind. And that phrase higher power is a key part of that. I mean, everybody, even the most rigid, fortified atheist has to go, well, there's something bigger than me. I've, you know, I've been in Al-Anon for years and you could just take people down to the ocean and say, do you still think you're the biggest thing around here? (laughs) It's like ridiculous. So, and I think IFS sort of does the same thing. It sort of coaxes spirituality in a language that makes it acceptable to the modern Western mind. Yes, because we can scare people away. Like I, I love the G word. I love God, you know, but I know that it scares a lot of people. Mm. So we have to find language that that includes. Yeah, and self is is very much that language. Yes, yes. So what what is your current growing edge in this season of your life? I I would say it's um, deepening the contact with spirit and more and more wanting to be guided. And uh, there's a phrase, I think it's from Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, deep listening. So I I have a practice that takes me several hours every morning, praying, checking with my parts, deep listening. And I... You know, I live up here in the woods. I go out and I dance with the trees before dawn. And so I spend a great deal of time trying to maintain and encourage those connections and to really listen and uh, (laughs) actually get my arrogant, proud mind out of the way a little bit. (laughs) Sounds like you're doing it. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with us. And thank you for just being a role model of healing and transformation and just the the courage and the tenacity and the faith just to to bring this body of work into the world Mm, thank you and if if people want to find out more i have someone who puts together a website and a youtube channel for me i i've never even looked at my own youtube channel but i've been told it's pretty good so robertfalconer.us and then you, you can get a great deal of information. Great. And we'll, and we'll put that link in the show notes as well as the link to your book. Okay, great. Wonderful talking with you. Likewise. Thank you, Robert. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me today. And remember, change doesn't come from listening alone. I invite you to commit to taking one small or large courageous action after today's conversation. One step you can take if you haven't already is to sign up for my Sunday journal. It's a weekly newsletter filled with inspiration and reflections about the intersection between spiritual entrepreneurship and fulfilling your potential to help you become the woman you truly are in every area of your life. You can subscribe at programs-saravonstover.com forward slash journal. And if you found this podcast valuable, please share it with the women in your world. 
Also, I'd be very grateful if you'd leave a review. It helps others find resources like this, and I'd love to hear what's coming alive for you after listening today. Above all, keep going, and never forget the unique offerings you and your true self bring to the world. Until next time, I'm sending you my heartfelt support.